Welcome to the You Are Not A Frog summer replays. Over the summer, I've decided to smoke what I'm selling and take a proper break. So I'm re-releasing some of our earlier podcast episodes, and I think they're perfect for a listen to help you reflect and reset before a busy autumn. We'll post links to the original show notes site where you can find out more. So please take some time to look after you this summer. And we'll be back and raring to go in September with loads of new guests and some old favourites. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. It is possible to craft your work and life so that you can thrive even in difficult circumstances. And if you're happier at work, you'll simply do a better job. In this podcast, I'll be inviting you inside the minds of friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control and love what we do again. As well as helping you to increase your well-being and to beat stress, My Shapes Toolkit training also helps people take control of their work and be more productive. So it was really great to talk to Dr. Gandalf for this episode of the podcast. Now, he's looked deeply into productivity and all the various tech hacks that we can do to help us save just that little bit extra of time. But he's got some really good ideas and principles that I think if we all followed would make our lives that little bit easier. I hope you enjoy this podcast. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Gandhi, aka Dr. Gandalf. And I'm sure lots of you will have seen him on Twitter, on Facebook, on various different social media channels. He's the host of the very popular EGP Learning podcast. And I was on that recently and it was really great to chat with him. So I thought it'd be great to hear about the hacks that he uses personally in his life because he does a lot of stuff around GP resilience. So welcome, Gandhi. Great to have you here. Thank you for having me, Rachel. It's been great. Yeah. So what I wanted to start off with was asking you what your daily routine is, because I know when I've spoken to you before about all the many, many roles that you have. So you're a PCN director, Mm -hmm. you're a GP, you run your website, your podcast, all that sort of stuff. How do you fit it all in? I know you've said to me in the past, I don't sleep. I don't believe that (laughs) because I don't reckon anyone can be as productive as you are with no sleep. So how do you fit it in and what is it you do? What's your sort of normal daily routine? So my normal daily routine is I normally get up just before six o'clock and then I spend a good half hour, an hour or so, um, depending on how alert I am at that point, um, just cracking on with stuff. So I do a lot of the tinkering for my website or I do a little bit of emailing for my PCN work and and that kind of stuff. And I do that pretty much as soon as I get up. So I kind of read the whole Miracle Morning thing by Hal Elrod. Miracle Morning. Eight months ago. Yeah, Miracle Morning and kind of thought, you know what, there may be something here, so let's give it a try. And actually at that time I was fasting. So I was waking up at the crack of dawn, which was, you know, to start the fasting things was about four o'clock in the morning at that point. Oh my word. You know, I was getting up anyway. So I thought, let's give this a try. Let's see how productive I can actually be. And then when uh, Ramadan finished, I just continued doing it for a while. And it worked really, really well, actually. I, I got tons done. 
And then the summer holidays hit and kind of locked a little bit with it because kids being kids, sometimes my son would wake up at six o'clock in the morning as well with me, which was a bit more challenging trying to do things with him sitting in the room. But actually, it's something I try to maintain and most of the days of the week now I still do that. Um, so I do a little bit of exercise to get the morning going, I drink a couple of glasses of water, like you know they mentioned in, in the kind of book and stuff, and then crack on with work, really. Right. So that's one of the reasons why I tend to do quite a lot of stuff, because I do kind of sign up to this whole thing that first thing in the morning, you, you're probably most rested. So mm. if you are the type of person that can actually wake yourself up at that time, if you can get cracking, you can actually get a lot of stuff done. And I do find that I'm a lot more productive. So if I've got a chunk of work I need to do, and I know it's going to take me about 40 minutes or so, I know I can get it sorted in that time. So whether it's looking at PCN documents or whether it's, you know, editing an episode of the podcast or, or that kind of stuff, and, you know, I can, I can do that quickly and effectively. Um, 7 o'clock, my son normally wakes up, and I sit down with him for a bit before work and, and things, and we kind of go through a couple of bits and, and stuff. Um, so he's trying to learn kind of his study stuff and things, and, you know, we sit and do that, and then I make him breakfast, and, you know, and then I head off to work kind of stuff. And then my normal working day in terms of clinical stuff kicks off, really. And then I come home and, you know, chill out a bit and sometimes do work on top of that. May or may not be great, depending on how much I've got going on. Like you said, because I've got so many different hats, it's got this annoying habit, go through feast or famine. So there's no work to do for ages and all of a sudden you've got tons to do. And lo and behold, it's the exact same time where one of your other roles has tons <laughs> to do. So it's just trying to stagger that. That's been probably one of my best hacks of trying to make sure that actually I'm not getting into problems with that. In terms of doing that, the big thing for me is lately has been to-do apps. I've been spending a bit of time trying to find one that works for me so that I, I know what I need to do kind of thing. And that's starting to work a lot more effectively. That's interesting, the to-do apps, because I've been mm-hmm. looking for to-do apps that work for me. And what I realised yep. that actually my problem is not the apps, it's actually reviewing my lists regularly. So I'd be keeping yeah. a to-do list on Evernote and it's probably got 200 things on it and I never look at it. So one of the things I found is when you create a to-do list, uh, loads of people are really good at creating lists yes. that, that they can do. Like you say, it's, it's the review thing. But then remembering to review mm-hmm. it is part of the challenge as well. So one of the things I found is the ones that I use, I love the remind me function. So quite a few of them have functions where you can set a timer. Okay. So you've got normally a due date mm-hmm. and you've got an alarm that you can set as well. And what I would normally do, I'd have the due date for whenever the task has to be done by. But then I always set the alarm to remind me, uh-huh. depending on what the task is, a set time before that. So, and in line with what I know I would normally be doing. So... For example, my PCN work, I, I tend to do most of it on a Friday. because That's the day I have allocated for it. So I will make sure that if it's a task that needs doing, say, by the Monday after the Friday, well, I've got the due date done, but I'll set the reminder to go off first thing Friday morning that says, actually, you need to make sure you've done this today. And, and that helps me because I see the first thing I see when I then look at my phone or my computer when I go onto it is like, ping, you've got a reminder, you have to do this. And like, right, that's what I need to focus on. That's what I need to do today. And do you find that you have a bit of a routine about, okay, it's PCN work on a Thursday and it's maybe podcast on a Wednesday, which is a Wednesday when we're recording this. Does that help you or does it tend to be a bit all over the place? It does. I think one of the challenges many GPs have is we're really good at doing stuff, really bad at saying no, generally speaking. And as a result of that, we find ways to expand our time. So I think it's Parkinson's law, if I remember rightly. Any task will fill the amount of time you allocate for it. And, you know, we see that in consultations, for mm-hmm. example. So, you know, people talk about how long a consultation should be, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, etc. 
But no matter how much time you allocate for the consultation, it will naturally fill that amount of time you've got allocated. And often you need a few more minutes extra anyway, because there's other agendas that come into play. And it's exactly the same with any kind of task. And you know, one of the best examples I've seen for that is when people have a deadline. You know, say, for example, you've got three weeks to write an essay. It doesn't take you three weeks to write an essay. Majority of people will churn it out in the last couple of days. So actually, the task is still taking you three weeks because you've not dealt with it because you don't have the time pressure you've not had the motivation to do it but if you actually make sure you've got the right amount of time allocated for that task then you can get it done a lot more effectively that's interesting about deadlines because i read this about deadlines that you should you know almost give yourself artificial deadlines which mean that you do things in time and you block out your time in the diary to do it but i seem to find that doesn't really work with me i almost need that pressure of when it has to be to do it and even if i set myself the artificial deadlines do you think that's true for everyone or just for you know, depending on your personality type or what you're like? I think there's definitely a personality type. So there are going to be people out there that, you know, they have three weeks to do, to do something and they'll have it done on day one. That There are definitely those kind of people out there. And there are a lot more people, I think, that are out there that you have three weeks to do something and they'll be doing it 10 minutes before it's due. You know, that, that's human psychology and that's human nature. But I, I think when you try and set yourself a deadline, you have to, I think, give yourself a reason why that deadline is important. Mm. You are creating an artificial deadline... Why is that one important and more important than the actual deadline of the task? So if I have those kind of things, I will actually put on my deadline, you know, for example, I've set it for Friday morning because you've got XX and X to do next week. You know, that kind of, so I link it off to the other tasks to remind me, actually, I have to do it now. Next week, I've got this to do and I need to make sure that's done. So make sure everything's sorted. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned about having allocated time. So my podcast, like I typically record or do most of the stuff for that on a Wednesday morning. Now, um, if I don't have that allocated time, I, I don't get it done. That's the thing. If mm. I find it much more challenging. So making sure I've given myself space and time to do these kind of things. And to go back to my earlier point, because GPs are generally quite bad at saying no, what we find is that they take on lots of extra stuff and then the time pressure just crashes onto them so making sure that if you are particularly having multiple roles multiple hats as i like to call it that you are allocating time in your week to do it otherwise what happens is you prioritize everything for the things that you feel are important or probably are important so for example patient facing stuff kind of thing but then all these extra stuff that actually makes your brain tick often in a different way you then find that you're pressuring yourself to get those done and then you may lose the joy of doing those kind of things, which actually also bring you a lot of satisfaction, a lot of fulfilment and that kind of thing. And that's where burnout, unfortunately, becomes more of a challenge. Yeah. Yes, I've noticed that definitely the urgent stuff always crowds out the important stuff. And I guess it's the urgent, important stuff that crowds out the important stuff. And it's trying to find Mm. some time that you can set aside where you will do the important stuff. For example, yesterday I I had a really big project to do. It wasn't urgent, urgent, but I needed Mm. to do it. But there were about 10 really urgent things I needed to do. And it was really difficult to get the discipline to say, I'm not going to do those urgent things. I'm going to focus on this big, important thing, because otherwise that's going to become urgent. So I guess the challenge thing is trying to allocate, like you said, the urgency versus importance. Um, One thing I love for that is the Eisenhower matrix. Yeah, I'm sure you've come across this. And if people are looking for a tech way of doing this, there's a really good app that does this. And it's the it's the one I've been using for myself for quite a while up until recently, and I'll explain why in a second. But it's called Ike I K E. Okay. I think it's only Android, unfortunately. Ah. Um, it's not Apple-based. I know this is a slight frustration, but it is awesome. And the reason why it's awesome is whenever you put yourself a task, 
it actually forces you to use it in the form of an Eisenhower matrix. So for those of people that haven't heard about this, Eisenhower matrix is basically a grid, four-way grid, of urgency versus importance. So you've got your urgent important, your urgent not important, your not urgent important, and your not urgent not important. And effectively, it forces you every time you add the task to choose which of those four quadrants you are putting that task into. And you can rename them if you want, so you can have them as, you know, focus, um, plans, you know, future work, that kind of stuff. And the idea being, because you're being forced to put it into that category, it just helps you have that little step of, okay, where is it going? How am I going to allocate this? There's still the trick of trying to analyse that yourself. And what you tend to find then is that by using a matrix like this, it forces you to decide. Because then if you put everything into the urgent important, you can have loads in there. And then when you see the kind of app, when you open it up, it says, well, you've got 30 things in urgent and important and nothing in your not urgent, not important. And then the question is, is that right? I really like the app for that reason. It's what I recommend to a lot of people that do struggle with productivity because mm. it just makes you have that decision process of where do yeah. I stick this? Yeah. And then there is that other question of that whole not urgent, not important category. Are you actually the person that needs to be doing that task and is it a way of doing those particular tasks so you don't need to and taking it from there, really? Yeah, and we, we talk to people, because I use this, the urgent important matrix all the time when I'm doing so these tr my training courses for GPs on resilience. And the problem is they end up with sort of nothing in there, not important, not urgent boxes. Everything seems to be important. And then you've got some stuff that's urgent and not important. We talk to people about delegating, but we mm. find it really hard to delegate stuff, don't we? We do, and I think that's partly a control aspect in the fact that GPs like to have control and like to be able to, you know... Um, because I can probably do this better than anybody else. I think there is an element of that, if I'm being honest. But also, it, it is because of the responsibility that comes with our roles. You know, there are many people out there that, that feel this fear that if I haven't, if it's not done right, it's going to come back and, you know, in effect, bite me in the butt. Yeah. So making sure that doesn't happen. The best way to do this, if I do it myself, actually, if you're doing everything, where are you going to find the time for doing yes. everything? Yeah. You know, th th this is the problem. So things have to be delegated, and as long as there is a structure then it's fine. As long as you've got a principle or a process, there's no point saying, well, I'm not going to do this, so I'm not going to do it, and then leaving it for somebody else to figure out. Yeah, you clearly need to have the input and a policy or you know, a process to figure out how to do that. For example, pathology results. You know, Not every pathology result has to be seen by a doctor. There are quite a few examples I can give you that you know don't really need a doctor's input into them. So things like smear tests, for example... Mm -hmm. INR test results, those kind of things. If you have a, a process and a policy in place that says, okay, if it's high, this needs to happen. If it's low, this needs to happen. Then actually that will take out some of that workload. And it may seem, well, they're simple things. It'll only take me a few seconds. It's not a big problem. Count up how many times you're having to do that over a day. Count up how, you having to, how many times you have to do that over a week, over a month. And actually that becomes from seconds to minutes to hours. And that's where you can start to make those simple little gains and the best example of you know, incremental gains is the Sky Cycling team. So, so they talk about this often. They went from basically obscurity to being one of the best cycling teams in the world. And what they did was they looked at every little thing that the cyclists were doing, from how they were training, from how they were even sleeping, and you know, kind of the mattresses they would use. And they found that actually making people as comfortable and as effective as possible, and even if it shaved 
a few seconds off, actually, a few seconds here, a few seconds here, it builds up into minutes, and, and that's how they got their times down so amazingly. So, you know, I've heard stories about how they carry around their own mattresses that they have at home because they're more comfortable, more rested, yeah. and therefore they can work more effectively. Yeah. And it's just those simple principles that incremental gains that you can have can actually lead to a significant, massive, you know, improvement. Um, I mean, the other term is compound gains, but it's this, yeah, it's that kind of principle. Yeah. So it's interesting, I think, with the delegation piece, it's really important. But then again, it takes time to delegate. So you you get back to that non-urgent but important quadrant, which I think Stephen Covey calls quadrant two, doesn't he, in his book, Seven Habits Mm -hmm. of Highly Effective People, which which is another really good book to read about productivity and, and managing yourself. You know, and and all these things that you can shave seconds off, it takes a while to actually set them up, doesn't it? It can do. And I think this is where I think a lot of people really struggle because I don't even have time to get a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, So how on earth can I figure out a policy or protocol so how someone else can look at my INR results? Yeah, completely understand that and hear that. But then the problem is that means you're still doing the work. Yes. And finding... Sometimes it is more important to say, actually, I need to find the time to do this. Or do I need to get someone else to do this and trust that they've done it properly? And that's the other part, you know. So we have, for example, you know, generally very good administration or practice management teams. There is this aspect of saying to them, I need you to go off and figure out a better way for us to do this. You know, I will pop back in and see how you're getting on with what you come up with. I may need to tweak a couple of things from the clinical side of things. But actually, those people are probably better at figuring out systems and processes than GPs are because actually we don't look at it from the how does it work or flow system. We just look at what the outcome is in terms of the patient. And that's important. Do not get me wrong. It's vitally important. That's why you need that clinical input. But at the same time, if you don't have that organizational overview, in a sense, or that analytical view of how logic works, how it flows and that kind of stuff, you don't tend to make the same gains. And we've seen that. All the people that have made significant innovations in primary care, they've generally come from people who are not just clinicians, but clinicians with that kind of brain that works in terms of looking at logical organisational stuff or administrative teams that run that kind of stuff for them. And that's why they're more effective than just having the clinical brain say, this is how we need to work it out, because they look at the processes. And that may not always be the best thing that us GPs are good at looking at. I've heard about a practice recently that's appointed a business manager who's come in from a completely other industry and who's been sort of walking mm-hmm. around going, my goodness, this place is run so inefficiently. There's so many little things we could do to make everyone's lives yeah. better. And I think having that outside yeah. perspective is really, really helpful. And increasingly, there are many practices, particularly the medium-sized ones, I think, now started to realise that, you know, having, a, a, for example, a practice manager is good and effective. Having a business manager that looks at the actual financial side of things, and like you said, from potentially a different organisational view than general practice, tends to be more financially beneficial. Also, in terms of system processes, they bring that learning from other areas that can actually have a better impact in terms of how we work. Yeah, really important. So if we're thinking about these little things that we can do that can bring us incremental gains. What do you think is the single most time-effective thing that a GP could do to get them the biggest amount of time back? Okay, I think there's three things I would say to look at. And this is, uh, if anybody's looking at productivity, these are the three things I would say that you have to consider, the very least, when you're looking to try and improve your workflow. So number one is, I like the concept of the three frogs. 
um, probably relevant that we're, we're on your podcast talking about this. And it's got various <laughs> different names and origins and that kind of stuff. But the way I describe it to people is, imagine if your life depended on you eating three frogs that are sitting in front of you. Right. And you have no choice. If you don't eat them, you're going to die. Okay. Which of those three frogs are you going to choose to be the first one that you take down? So I'm going to ask you, Rachel, which, which would you go for? you just got to do it. You've got to do the best. Yeah, probably the biggest, biggest and the ugliest while I'm still a bit hungry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, no, and that's completely true. You go for the biggest, fattest, ugliest one. Because if you've got that one down, to yeah. be honest, the other two should be a bit easier. Because yeah. they're not as big, they're not as yeah. fat, and they're not as ugly. Yeah. yeah. And it's exactly the same with tasks that we have to do. When you've mm. got a, a variety of things that you have to do in your day, in actual fact, going for the biggest, hardest one that you think of first is actually probably the best thing to do. And the reason for doing that, say, for example, you've got a complicated patient that you know has taken a lot of time and you need to speak to them. And in a sense, you're kind of dreading it. And I know people use various different terms. You know, they, this can be heart sink patients or whatever. I'm not going to go into the terms themselves, but it's that kind of thing that you know it's going to take you time or it's going to take you effort. If you deal with that first, it's done. That's it. It's out yeah. of you. you don't have to worry about it, yeah? If you leave it till the last thing that you do, yeah. all the other things that you have done that have chipped away at your psychological you know, yeah. well-being, your resilience, all that kind of stuff, and then you get into it, how are you going to feel then? Yeah. Yeah? It's hung over you all day. Getting, yep. And the stress of it being there potentially as well. You know, and this could be anything from patient encounter. This could be writing a report. You know, I know some people, it's things like you know, complaints. That, that can be one that hangs over people's heads. Oh, I've got to write this complaint. I've got to write this. Just get on and do it, you know. It's going to be unpleasant. You're not going to like doing it. But once it's done, it's done. And then you don't have to think about it until the next stage, which could be three weeks away. But actually, the challenge of getting it done is done. So definitely the first thing for me is look at this concept of uh, three frogs or basically pick the hardest thing that you have to do in your day and make that the first thing that you're doing. Yeah? Yeah. I was just thinking about a book called The 15-Minute Rule. I don't know if you've read that. But that is not heard that one, no. Actually, I find that quite it's a bit similar to this frog thing. <laughs> and of course, I do mm-hmm. like frogs, so I prefer the frog concepts. But hey, spoiler alert, <laughs> I'm going to tell you everything in the 15 minute rule book, like in literally 30 seconds. It basically says if you've got a really big task to do and you don't want to do it, put a timer on for 15 minutes and say, I'm going to start it. Because often it's just starting yeah. something that's the problem. And say to yeah. yourself, absolutely, after 15 minutes, I'm going to stop doing it. So sort of psychologically, you know you've only got 15 minutes of it. And then nine times out of ten, yeah. once you've started it, when you get to 15 minutes, you're pretty much all of the way through. You think, well, I'll just finish it. That wasn't too bad. So it's just a way of yeah. getting over this sort of psychological barrier of actually getting something done. And that has been really helpful for me when there's just a really big thing. I think, oh, I don't even know where to go with this. OK, let's just start Googling a few sure. things and then suddenly it's got a lot easier. So that's something as well I would recommend. Yeah. What's your number two? Definitely. What's your number two tip? So my number two is definitely batching. And okay. so in general practice, we have a variety of different tasks and things that we have to do. You know, uh, when you work, walk into practice. So on a typical GP's list, I'm guessing will be things like, so there's obviously patient contact um, and whatever that may be, whether it's telephone, face-to-face or other kind of things. There will be clinical admin that you have to do, so your pathology results, there'll be your letters that you have to look at, and then there'll be your tasks, whatever they're called, you know, different systems have different names for them and that kind of thing. And then there'll be all the other administrative stuff like audits and appraisal and all the other kind of thing. Batch what you're doing. If you do that, it works so much better. And the reason for that is um, people talk about this concept called multitasking, okay? Multitasking doesn't exist. It's attention diversion. You know, that's how I describe it. Because in, in reality... 
Um, particularly the type of work that we do as clinicians, you can't multitask. You know, managing two different patients at the same time, that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. so you can easily make a mistake and get confused. You can have the wrong notes open or you can put a prescription for the wrong patient. So trying to multitask with clinical care is not ideal. Clearly, there are situations where it still has to happen. And, and things, for example, like a chaotic ED department, you know, resource room, that kind of stuff, that may be the situation you're in and it can't be avoided. In practice, you may be on call and have you know, one patient sitting in your room, another patient on the other side of the, you know, the practice going into you know, asthma arrest, something like that, you know, respiratory arrest and things. Yeah, fair enough. You may have to do that at times, but it should not be the norm. That's what I'm trying to get yeah, at. Yeah. So making sure that you are batching the work that you're doing. The other reason for doing that is that when you get into the flow of doing a repetitive task, whether it is something like looking at pathology results, whether it's looking at your clinical letters, it flows so much better when that's the only task you're doing because your mind's set up for doing it in that format. So if you're looking at your clinical letters, there will be a process you run through when you look at clinical letters. I'll look at this part. I'll look at the letter first, for example. I'll scan for the relevant bits I need to do. If I need to change the medications, I can do that. If I need to pass it on to someone, I can do that. It's a set workflow that you have in your brain, and actually that will flow a lot better than you doing five minutes of that and then, oh no, I've got some pathology I need to do, I'll go do that. Or I've got some prescriptions I need to do, I'll go do that. And then I'll come back to my letters. No. Give yourself 20 minutes in the day to say, I'm just going to spend 20 minutes on my letter at that one point in the day. And that's it. I'm not going to touch them now till tomorrow. Because actually, there's no reason to, you know. There shouldn't be things that come through urgently that say you have to deal with it again till you're the next time you make that touch point. Unless, of course, you're not going to be in for a few days. And if they are urgent, there should be a different system that raises that urgency to you, not burying it in the mass kind of thing. So batching is definitely the big thing I say to a lot of people. And my particular thing is I get in the morning, I look at my pathology results in the morning, and I'll get through those. And I can normally do that in about five, ten minutes or so, because actually we've got systems in place to try and reduce them. Um, my letters, I tend not to do till later on the afternoon, because the influx of letters I get is around about 11 o'clock in the morning when you know, scanners and stuff have done the morning workload. So then I'm just having to touch it once. I'm not having to go back again multiple times because there's no point. It's just taking more of my time away. So batching, definitely a big thing. Yeah. And I've heard that if you're all deep in a task and you get interrupted, it takes up to 23 minutes to get back into that same task. Can do, yeah. So, yeah, it definitely can take you time. I think in clinical stuff, it's a bit more challenging because of the way that we approach our clinical task is different. But that mindset, yeah, definitely a different perspective. And I guess another example I'll give to our listeners, um, people who have ever done things like sit and wait clinics, you know, where, where you've had a long list of patients you need to just get through. Yep, because there's the waiting room's full. You've got God knows how many people waiting to see you. Actually, if you focus on just seeing those patients, chances are you'll get through them a lot quicker than mm. if you have interruptions coming through so if you're happy to be on call and people are interrupting you because this has happened this has happened this has happened that will take you so much more longer because you're with one person you're being diverted to deal with something else because you've had an interruption then you have to go back and, and, and it just doesn't work so when we did that well, one of the things we tried to do was make sure that if you were doing the same weight clinics that's all you did right. you weren't on call you weren't doing other things you know you were just doing that now we moved away from that because we realized sitting weight didn't really work and we've got a different system but you know for example our triage system is now very much that when you're doing triage that's all you're doing mm -hmm. you're not doing you're not on call we make sure that you know as best as we can to make sure that never happens and therefore that means you can just focus on that one task because that's the important thing that's the rate limiting step that you know has to happen so actually if you're focused on that you're not being interrupted with other stuff yeah 
I think that's such an important principle. And I've started trying to do that with things like emails, batching emails. So rather than just answer emails as they come in and definitely turn off your email notifications because that is an absolute attention attention killer. So if you take one thing from this podcast, turn off those little boxes that pop up in the corner of your screen, which just divert you from what you're doing. But then, you know, people have said to me, actually, you need to do emails because emails are sort of low quality, low attention tasks, but batch them up together and do them maybe after lunch when you're rid of a post-lunch dip or something like that, where you don't need to concentrate on on something for a long, long period of time, but just batching them up, batching podcast recording up, batching different types of tasks because it has really revolutionized things. So really important principle. And I love the way we can apply that to clinical types of work as well. Sure. So what's your number three? Number three, you've kind of beat me to it. Ah. Switch off the notification. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So switching off the notifications is probably one of the best Mm. things you could ever do. And the reason for that is, like you said, you get interrupted all the time. You will get this pop-up, this pop-up, and it just diverts you. And more importantly, it can stop you doing things as well. So I'm a massive fan of System 1. However, System 1 has a couple of flaws, and one of them is that when you get a notification, you could be happily typing the patient's notes, you know, focusing on the patient, writing on the keyboard, blah, blah, blah. You come to the screen, there's a notification on there that's stopped you from actually putting things in, and half the stuff you've just written isn't actually there on the system now because this notification popped up. Yeah. So switch them off. Just switch them off. Simple as that. If something is so urgent that somebody needs your attention... The method for them getting your attention should be knocking on your door. And the other part of that is the only time they should be knocking on your door is basically to tell you somebody's pretty much rested in the waiting room, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to say it should be the fires going off, but to be honest, the fire alarm should be going off if that's the case. (laughs) You know, but it, it is that principle that, you know, if it's important enough to interrupt you, it has to be important enough to stop you doing whatever you could be doing. Not whatever you might be doing, whatever you could be doing. So, you know, and making that very clear to the people around you as well, that I should only get an interruption physically at the door if, you know, this, this or this has happened. That's it. If it's not that, you don't interrupt me that way. But then the other thing with switching off the notifications is then relying on the earlier thing, which is batching, is making sure within your day you've got structure to check those things. Because there's no point switching off all the notifications and then never checking them. Yeah. So my day is very much timetabled in the sense that I've got periods of time where I know I have to do this, I have to do this. And having that regular routine in my clinical practice just means that I get through things. So like I said, pathology in the morning, I've got letters later on in the afternoon. I'll check my notifications, you know, uh, around about three o'clock in the afternoon where I've got a bit of dead time normally. Tasks and stuff I tend to do towards the end of the day because actually that's when I'm most effective at doing tasks. And in my view, tasks shouldn't be dealt with in any other kind of format because... I want to make sure I'm dealing with them again in a batch format through them all in one go so then it's sorted and I think better when it's the end of it. It's finding what works for you, definitely, but also what works within systems in the practice as well. So there's no point doing your prescriptions first thing in the morning if the influx of prescriptions is at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's pointless because you're still going to have a huge load waiting for you at the end and you're going to be like, I need to do those and the temptation's going off and do them and yeah, it's... So work around the process and the practice or whatever, but at the same time, work what's best for you. So can I just ask you this thing about prescriptions coming in later in the day? So, you know, I was talking to someone whose issue was that a lot of prescriptions came in sort of later in the evening and then just sort of got left. And Mm. people think, I've got to do my prescriptions before I go. But they hadn't come in till sort of four Mm. or five o'clock. And people feeling they've got to stay till eight, nine, ten to get everything done rather than leaving the appropriate person. What would you say to those sorts of people that are worrying about that? 
So I'd say to people that are worrying about that, first of all, why are you worrying? You know, the process in your practice should be, this is our routine turnaround time for prescriptions. And if that system works in that process, then that's how it works. You know, so we have in our practice, ours is a two working day turnaround for routine Mm -hmm. prescriptions. And, you know, there has to be a reason why that works. Now, if you want to make that shorter, that's fine. If you want to make it so that that's a quicker process. So if all the prescriptions, for example, your intake, any prescription before 12 o'clock in the afternoon will be dealt with within two working days will be dealt with, you know, call it 12 o'clock Monday morning. All the prescriptions that come in by that point will be ready for Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. Then you need to make sure that process works. So there's no point having it. All those are collated and then they end up in the GP's inbox Tuesday morning, but then that GP doesn't have any time to deal with them till Wednesday morning because then the stress of trying to get them dealt with is just going to build up. So that process within the practice needs to work. That's number one. The second part is, in your mind, understanding how urgent is that task. So, you know, like you said, the GP that comes across them at four o'clock in the afternoon sees a big part of prescriptions and they're like, oh, they have to be done. Why? Why do they have to be done? If they don't actually need to be ready till Wednesday morning, that's fine. You've got a process of dissemination for those pro, you know, within equal share people in, in the practice and stuff. That's how it should work. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. Now, clearly, if you want to aim for a quicker turnaround time, if you want to aim for clearing your desk, which I know a lot of people, that's the motivation for doing this kind of thing, then actually look at, is that what you need to be doing for you? How much stress is that causing to you? How much change is that making to the practice? How much benefit is that giving to the patients? Because whatever you're doing is stopping you from doing something else. And that's the part I think many people forget. You know, you've only got a finite amount of time that you can dedicate to whatever you're doing. If you're doing one thing instead of another, then you're not doing the other thing. And which one's more important overall? Trying to balance that perspective. I think people really worry about the perception that they're dumping work on their colleagues. Yeah, I can understand that. But again, if the process in the practice has been that those prescriptions have all come in and actually you're not meant to be doing them, why are you feeling you're dumping? Mm. If that's the case, raise the issue and look at, is our current system working for us? Mm. If it's not, is there a better way we can do that? Is it that actually like you say, that the person who's in on the afternoon deals with all the prescriptions so then they don't get any in the morning Mm. because they're dealing with them all in the afternoon. Mm. Is that what you need to think Mm. about? Is it that you need to potentially extend the time for routine prescriptions and how how does that work with pharmacies and the other kind of stuff? Is it that you change the influx time for prescriptions for Mm. patients and say that, you know, we will take prescriptions all the way up until four o'clock and then, you know, they're dealt with the following morning because you've got a bigger catch in time and Mm. stuff. So it's looking at those systems and processes and understanding what they actually mean, not just... There's this work, somebody go off and do it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I know that on your podcast, you often discuss these sort of tech hacks, the things that make, make our yeah, lives yeah. easier. What would you be, you know, if you could force all GPs to have one particular <laughs> tech solution and one app, what would it be? Yeah. So one tech solution, hands down for me, would be video conferencing. Yeah. Um, so this is past six months or so, I've really got invested into this in terms of spending time and looking at how it works. And it works, simply put. Yeah. Uh, particularly for my PCM, I can appreciate it for many people for patient-facing roles, this may not be as effective. Mm-hmm. Although video consultations is something we need to look at um, moving forward and is going to be part of the contract from 2021. And I'm not going to talk about video consultations because that's a whole other matter. Yeah. But video <laughs> yeah. conferencing in, term, yes. in terms of, you know, meetings within practice, mm. between practices, yeah. meetings within PCNs. Oh, my God, the amount of time you can save is significant. Yes. I will counteract that with that physical meetings clearly have immense value. Mm. Not just value, but immense value. Yeah. And the networking opportunities and that, you know, 
emotional aspect that you get from being in a room with people is exceptionally valuable. However, GPs are unbelievably expensive people. Our time is so valuable. And spending, unfortunately, we get asked to attend lots of meetings. So if you have to do that, would an online meeting, would a video conferencing meeting actually mean that that works more effectively for you? Mm. You can dial in, dial out. And actually, if it's just a brief discussion or, you know, catching people from across a diverse geographical area, is that a better way of doing it? And more importantly, what I tend to find works better is hybrid meetings. So what I mean by that is that you have a meeting where people can congregate and meet, but at the same time, you allow people the opportunity to join in Mm. via video conferencing. Mm. So it's not just a video meeting where everybody is dialing in, but it's the combination of the two. And the value from that is really significant because then the people that prefer the face-to-face or don't like the medium of interacting online, um, they can have the option of coming if they don't or if they can't make it because of whatever geographical reasons timing issues that kind of stuff or even because they're in clinic you know Mm -hmm. so i have had online meetings where people have had to be on call so they have to physically Mm -hmm. be in the practice and they may have to dip out and deal with a patient yeah but then they can just switch it off at that point yeah yeah and the other amazing thing is most of these systems will record the meeting yes and having the recording available for you to then look at to then say, actually, I can now capture the entire context of what was discussed has so much more value than reading a set of minutes. Because no matter how good the minute taker is, they will never be able to capture context, particularly in terms of what people have said. Because otherwise you just end up reading a transcript that will take you two (laughs) hours to read anyway, and most people won't want to do that. Whereas listening to something that's been recorded or watching something that's been recorded, Mm -hmm. particularly with the power of things like YouTube and stuff, being able to speed up slightly so you can (laughs) listen and watch back at 1.2 or 1.3, whatever your brain can cope with you know it it takes you know for example an hour-long meeting down to 50 minutes awesome bit of time saving but i've still got the value and the context of what's happened in that meeting to reflect on particularly if decisions are being made with my involvement i want to know what's happening there and that can be a more effective way rather than just simply you know going over minutes and the minutes may be enough but then if you want the deeper context you've got it you've got access to it yeah that's so for me great idea yeah definitely yeah. In fact, I was reading a Harvard Business Review article just this morning about remote working and how you can promote uh, so teamwork amongst remote workers. And, and the problem is that they were identifying was too much video conferencing means you don't get those informal interactions which, which you get when you meet face to face. And they were suggesting actually start your meeting 10 minutes earlier. The organiser just look, puts it open mm. so people can come in with a coffee and, and do a bit of small talk and leave it open for 10 minutes at the end so that people can, I mean, you can stop the recording. You, you can choose how long you record for, yeah. can't you? But people can then just record um, chat and, you know, if they want to have a little breakout room, you can do that as well. So yeah. I think that's a really good And thing. interesting, so, so obviously this won't be going out the time that this happens, but tomorrow I'm attending a King's Fund event based in Nottingham. And one of the things I've been asked to talk about is technology and how mm. you can use that. And one of the big things I say to particularly networks is this is a way of trying to save you time. Network meetings can be a really challenging thing when you're trying to get various different groups of people into a room and that kind of stuff. And people get really annoyed with meetings as well because there's so many of them. So the potential of having online video conferencing where you can dip in, dip out, offers value. Yeah. That's number one. Um, In terms of apps, um, you asked me about, so I've got two Mm -hmm. that I'm going to quickly mention. Um, so it's not necessarily an app, but it's an app system, and that's something called Calendly. Oh yeah. Um, so it's a it's basically a scheduling yeah. app, and the reason why I love this is that I have pretty much removed the whole negotiating with people in terms of when I'm free. And for a one-on-one meeting, it works amazingly well because I only have to negotiate with one person. I can simply say, "Here's my link for when I'm free." 
you pick the time that's best for you and it will automatically book it. I get a notification then to say this person's booked it. And actually, if it turns around, it doesn't work for me, I can adjust it from there. But often it works because I've set that those are the times that I'm available and that kind of stuff. And, and that's how we arranged this meeting. Yep. You know, I sent you my Calendly link and you booked into it and we were fine. We were sorted. Yeah. You know, we, we only touched base, I think, last night to yeah. say that, yeah, we're still going ahead. Yeah, yeah actually, it's, yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. It's made a massive difference yeah. to me in terms of stress with organising yeah. meetings and I, I don't tend to have now yeah. the whole are you free? Oh, I'm not free then. Oh, yeah. are you free then? You know, that, that back and forth. It saves 20 emails, doesn't it? And there is a free version Sometimes, that you can use. Yeah. Definitely. So if you just have one meeting type, yeah, it's completely free to use. If you want various different things, so again, I have lots of hats and I actually felt, found the value of this mm. for me. It's not the biggest cost in the world. It works out something like £8 a month or so. Mm. That. I, I, I went for the paid version. Yeah. Um, but yeah, And it integrates directly with my calendar. Yeah. So I don't have to then worry about it not being there. Mm. It just works. And then my other one is a to-do app. So I mentioned earlier that oh, Ike yeah. was my preferred to-do app. The reason why I've changed for Mike, the one thing it doesn't do, which I've been looking for, which another app now does, is voice integration from Google. So I would love to be able to say, okay, Google, this. (laughs) I just heard a bleep. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But to say that and then remind me about okay, X, Y, and Z. right. Yeah, and unfortunately, Ike doesn't have that uh, integration. Okay. Because one of the things that I've realised now, particularly when I'm driving, lots of things come into my head. Okay. And I've now struggled to, because obviously I'm driving, I don't want to pull out my phone, I don't want to start jotting things down, I don't want to stop what I'm doing, particularly if I'm doing longer drives and stuff. So having a method that allows me to record those kind of ideas in my head effectively. So I now use Microsoft To Do, which okay. is actually pretty decent. And the right. other thing, I'm happy to find this works. It also works really well on my computer so it pings up when i want it to in terms of because i I use a microsoft surface so it's there integrates very well it updates automatically and it's have to it has improved some of the flow of my to-do list aspects of things because now i can see everything on both devices because the other problem i had with ike ike wasn't available on my computer Um, so it was only on my smartphone. Mm. So having it slightly more integrated has worked better for me. But I do miss the Eisenhower. Yes, yeah, play. yeah. Brilliant. OK, so there's those two tech apps. And anything else you suggest to the listeners before we sign off? I think, you know, people often get blighted by the tech. They, they see, you know, amazing kind of pieces of tech and say, yeah, I want to use this. I want to do that. Or, you know, let's do it. That can be really useful. What I would say is try not to get sucked into the platform itself. Look at the value you're going to get from the tech itself, from the tech, rather than what the tech necessarily looks like or what does. Find the things that work for you. So there's loads of, you know, the reason why there's about a thousand to-do apps is because everybody's different. Everybody likes the way that things work better in one way than another and that kind of stuff. And they can all do really amazing things, but find the, the feature that speaks to you and focus on that and then more importantly stick with it yeah um, because people try them for about a couple of days and think oh i don't like this it's too hard well it's either too hard because you don't get the app because mm-hmm. it doesn't work the way it should do in terms of your workflow that may be something you need to think about or it's because you've just not given it enough time to embed in what the system mm-hmm. do for you or it's just the wrong one for you yeah that's just the re- you know and you need to think about something else but giving it enough time to see if it works um because often they can do and, and sticking with it yeah and i think also then scheduling in time every single week to review your to-do list definitely <laughs> so like i said friday mornings for me i have half an hour where i just review 
everything. Not just my PCN stuff, it's the time I'm free. In that point in the day, I will review everything from my PCN work, from my EGP learning stuff, from my personal stuff. Have I done everything I need to do yeah. for, for this week? If I haven't, what have I missed? Or more importantly, looking forward, what am I going to yeah. do? And it's that review time that's probably the most important thing, even more so than creating the list in the first place. No point having a list if you're not looking at it. Yep. Yeah. And that is definitely my learning from this podcast is I'm going to start putting in a time. I think Fridays is a really good time to do it, actually, because then you're all set up for Monday when it comes around and you know what you're doing exactly. and you can have a weekend feeling pretty stress free, thinking, well, actually, yeah, I know what I need to do. I've blocked off time to do it. And let's just enjoy the weekend. Those of us who aren't working. Exactly. So I know for some people, you know, what they would tend to do is they review their list just before they go to bed yeah mm. with the intention that they're not going to do anything but they know what they need to do tomorrow mm. so they've got it clear in their head i need to do this this and this tomorrow and the other part with that is making sure that what you think you can achieve is realistic yeah. you know don't put 20 things in your to-do list to do tomorrow when you've only got an hour it's not going to happen and you're just going to get stressed and it's not going to get done if that's the case reallocate look at what's important figure it out more importantly and, and then take it from there rather than just oh my gosh i need to do 50 things tomorrow yeah because it ain't gonna happen that's the reality of things yeah time always it, things always take us sort of twice as long as we expect they're going to do that's in my in my exactly. experience i need to allocate twice the amount of time thank you so yeah. much candy that has been absolutely brilliant and really really helpful for our listeners if people want to get hold of you hear your podcast what how can they do that so best thing to do is search for egp learning so that can be either the website which is egplearning.co.uk or as you mentioned i'm on pretty much every major social media platform going so twitter facebook instagram youtube linkedin i think i've even got a snapchat account but i don't really oh, look wow. at that one to be honest so don't bother going there yeah but the best places to get me actually are twitter, twitter. Um, I, i'm on there most of the time and stuff uh, so egp learning or at dr gandalf 52 and just to point out i'm not 52 years old because a lot of people assume <laughs> that is, is a separate reason for having 52 but yeah twitter is a good way of contacting me or like i said the website and definitely subscribe to the platforms whichever prefer so the podcast is egp learning podblast um, and the youtube is again egp learning brilliant it's a great podcast i would recommend it so thank you so much for your thank time you. today and look forward to speaking to you again hopefully soon definitely. cheers thank, thank you, you then bye Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now.